14th of September. It is the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. Let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you because by your Holy Cross you have redeemed the world. You emptied yourself and took the condition of a slave to set us free. You became obedient, even unto death, to deliver us from the fruits of disobedience. You arose from the dead to raise us out of the shadow of death into endless light. Lord Jesus Christ, by your death on the cross, you triumphed over sin and death. Raise our fallen world to the glory no human wisdom can expect. You who live and reign with the Father in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. It is a better way to start a Thursday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, we've got lots to get to. Uh, we hope that you can stay along with us for as much as possible. We will talk to Father Robert Nixon, who's been going through the various jewels and gems and the crown of the Virgin that reflect the glories of Mary. And, of course, uh, those are all translated through the works of St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. Father Philip Michael Tangora will talk about the liturgical significance of today's Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. Stephanie Mann has more thoughts on the English martyrs. And then during this month when uh, suicide prevention is being promoted, we're going to look at that from a Catholic perspective. And Kevin Prendergast is going to share some thoughts on, uh, you know, maybe some of the people that you know who are struggling in this area and how you can help them. And maybe even some of you have been affected by suicide, you know, there's some good, some good ways to process that and to pray, uh, for those who are in that situation. Two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Hurricane Lee is prompting hurricane and tropical storm watches in parts of the East coast. Now the national hurricane center says, Hurricane conditions, heavy rainfall, and coastal flooding are all possible in Maine this weekend. There's also the potential for life-threatening storm surge flooding in Massachusetts. Lee remained a Category 2 storm as of late last night, packing maximum sustained winds of roughly 105 miles per hour. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis renewed his appeal for the international community to come to the aid of Libya, which has just seen, which has just been devastated by massive flooding. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. Pope Francis said, my thoughts go out to the people of Libya, hard hit by violent rains that caused flooding and inundation, resulting in numerous deaths and injuries, as well as extensive damage. The Holy Father invited all the faithful to join him in praying for those who have lost their lives and for their families and those who have been displaced. May our solidarity with these brothers and sisters, he said, who are so sorely tried by this calamity, not be lacking. According to the Reuters news agency, the desperate search for thousands of people missing after catastrophic flooding with more than 5,300 confirmed dead. The death toll is expected to rise dramatically. 
A powerful storm burst dams in the area, unleashing a torrent of water that devastated a quarter or more of the Mediterranean city of Derna and washed away buildings along with their residents. Some 10,000 people are estimated to be missing, and many are believed to have been swept out to sea. After praying for victims of the flooding in Libya, Pope Francis said, My thoughts also go to the noble Moroccan people who have suffered these movements of the earth, these earthquakes. Almost 3,000 people are known to have died in the magnitude 6.8 quake that struck the country on Friday, and more than 5,500 injuries have been reported. Hopes of finding survivors are fading. Many of the victims reside in small villages and mountain areas that rescue and aid workers are struggling to reach. In his remarks on Wednesday, Pope Francis urged prayers for Morocco and its people, asking that the Lord might give them strength to recover after this terrible disaster they have endured. I'm Christopher Wells. During his general audience catechesis yesterday, the Holy Father focused on a man known as the Doctor of the Poor in Venezuela as he continued his series on apostolic zeal. The Holy Father said, Blessed Jose Gregorio Hernandez, saw Jesus in the poor, the migrant, the sick, and the suffering. He said, the success he never sought in the world, he received and continues to receive from the people who call him saint of the people, apostle of charity, missionary of hope. An abortion rights legal group is suing three states over laws restricting abortions. The Center for Reproductive Rights is suing Idaho, Oklahoma, and Tennessee on behalf of eight women, four OBGYNs, and an Idaho Medical Association. Lawsuits filed in Idaho and Tennessee argue that the women were denied access to abortion when facing dangerous pregnancy complications. The lawsuits want state courts to put a hold on their abortion laws entirely and to clarify medical emergency exceptions in the state bans. The United Auto Workers Union is prepared for a likely strike against Detroit's big three automakers. Mark Mayfield reports. On Wednesday, Union President Sean Fain ruled out any extension of the existing contracts with GM, Ford, and Stellantis after they expire Thursday night. He noted that September the 14th is a deadline, not a reference point. Members on increases, pensions, and job protections. Payne said initial strike locations would be limited and targeted if no deal is reached. I'm Mark Mayfield. North Korean officials say Kim Jong-un is inviting Russian President Vladimir Putin to visit his country. The announcement comes after the two leaders met at a Russian spaceport yesterday for a five-hour-long meeting. Afterwards, Kim said North Korea fully supports Russia's invasion of Ukraine and claimed Russia was in a, quote, sacred fight for its sovereignty and security against hegemonic forces. North Korean News said Kim cordially invited Putin to visit the country at a convenient time and that Putin accepted with pleasure. And the NFL Players Association is calling for the league to switch all stadium fields to natural grass. This comes after New York Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers suffered a torn Achilles tendon after just four snaps in his debut with the team. MetLife Stadium, where the Jets and New York Giants play, switched to a new playing surface called Field Turf this year. NFLPA Executive Director Lloyd Howell said switching to natural grass is the easiest decision the league can make. 
He also claimed players overwhelmingly prefer natural grass and noted that data shows it's safer than artificial turf, but creates a lot of grass stains. Well, but grass stains are, that's a good uni, as they say. It's I mean, a good I uniform. It. Grass true. stains make for better, cooler, cooler uniforms. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess I shouldn't make light of Aaron Rodgers and his injury for no, sure. No, I don't but... believe it's <laughs> making light. I mean, there's turf toe did not exist until turf. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm just thinking about all of this in light of a conversation we had yesterday on the radio here with uh, Father Rob Jack. Um, we were talking about how to speak Catholic mm-hmm. and some terms that the world uses differently than the church uses. And we were talking about natural and supernatural. And <laughs> so if it was not natural grass before, does that mean it was supernatural? Or Subnatural. I think it's Un- subnatural. Un- Unnatural is the word we're looking for here. Unnatural Un- natural. grass. AstroTurf. <laughs> uh, love it. Well, today is one of my favorite days on the entire liturgical calendar. It is the feast of the exaltation, the triumph of the Holy Cross, Thursday, September the 14th. And we are so happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Father Robert Nixon is joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a Benedictine monk at New Norcia in Australia, translator of the Tan Resurrection series, and we have been going through one of those books, The Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. Father, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Eddie. It's great to be with you on this wonderful feast day. It is great to have you. And we are up to the 23rd and penultimate setting in this crown imagined by St. Ildefonsus, in which he places the gemstone barrel. I had to look this one up, Father. Can you describe this, Jim? Yeah. So um, the gemstone beryl is um, one of these very brilliant, transparent gemstones. Um, It comes in a whole range of different colors. Um, In fact, green beryls are are what we call emeralds. Uh, It comes also, though, in blue, in orange, in white. Mm -hmm. And it was a treasured stone in the ancient world because of its, its great luster, because of its wonderful clarity. And clarity is a key word when uh, when thinking about Beryl in light of Our Lady, I know. But I want to start, actually, Father, with uh, this verse that uh, begins the reflection in, in this chapter from Exodus chapter 25, verse 31. Thou hast fashioned a candelabrum of purest gold. Why does that begin this reflection Indeed. on Beryl? He goes on to say, then, addressing the Virgin Mary, most glorious lady, you yourself are this candelabrum in which God has placed the light of his wisdom in order that he might search out and find the lost drachma. And, um, you know, the idea that Mary is this, um, this gold light bearer, which God himself is using to display to us his wisdom and his love. And by means of this, as he says, to search out the lost drachma, which, of course, is a metaphor for for any souls who have gone astray. 
So God uses Mary as this wonderful uh, illumination to all of the world. The daughters of Jerusalem gaze upon you intently that they may pursue the scent of your fragrance and run in the light of your virtue. Can can you talk more about this idea of clarity and why that is so important when when discussing this gem in light of Our Lady? Yes, indeed. So um, one of the features of this gemstone is, is its clarity. And he says, this rare stone is bright and clear, transparent and flawless, possessing the wonderful property of making those who possess or wear it invincible to their foes. Now, the idea of this uh, transparent gemstone being so fitting for the Virgin Mary, her shines forth the, the love and wisdom of God. And, um, you know, I think this is particularly appropriate to th think about her as being transparent to Christ, that everything Christ felt or said went directly through her. And, of course, tomorrow when we um, have the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, we see how even the pain and suffering of Christ passed through her almost as if light passing through this transparent gemstone. That's such a beautiful reflection. I wanted to ask you, he uses the term, um, or at least you translate it as mediatrix uh, several times yeah. in, in this particular reflection. So can you talk about that? Yes, yes. So this term mediatrix, I, I believe, is so appropriate to apply to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, and he says here, thus it is that as a transparent gem through which light passes without obstruction, the divine glory shines through, your, through you unimpaired and is made visible to the eyes of the mortal heart. Conversely, as the unique mediatrix and privileged intercessor for humanity, you transmit our pleas, our cries, our tears, our prayers to God, filtered and purified through your own unique goodness and mercy. And I know some people have difficulty with the idea of Mary being a mediatrix. They say Christ is the only mediator. He is the only mediator. He is the only mediatrix. So there is an important distinction. It's a kind of gender distinction um, that their roles are, are, are not equivalent, but they're both essential in our communication with God, that the um, splendor of God, the mercy of God, through these two filters, through Jesus Christ, who was God himself, and through Mary, who is the most perfect mediatrix and intercessor before Christ, because Christ, after all, is her son. And what could be more powerful than the intercession, than the requests made through his own beloved mother? Yeah, absolutely. We all serve as intercessors in a way, and 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 then, of course, she being the most perfect of them. Um, I was really struck by uh, by these couple of lines here, Father, that I hope we can close out reflecting on. He writes, "You are indeed the star of the sea, to whom sinners sigh in supplication, and angels bow in adoration, as two fiery cherubim." The Archangel Gabriel and St. John the Evangelist both rejoice before your throne, singing songs of jubilant praise. Why those two, Father? Well, 
Annie, I think is very important. Of course, Gabriel has a privileged position before God. And Gabriel, of course, was the the uh, communicator between God and Mary. It was to Gabriel that Mary gave her fiat, let it be done to me. And it was Gabriel who addressed Mary with the Ave Gratia Plena, Hail, you who are full of grace. And of course, St. John, um, the beloved disciple of Christ, and he became the adopted son of Mary upon the cross, and she became his adopted uh, mother in turn. And of course, each one of us is an adopted son or daughter of this same Blessed Virgin, who is to each of us our great mother of mercy. We've been talking to Father Robert Nixon. You can find Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, look forward to next time when we talk about the final place in the Crown of the Virgin. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Annie. God bless you. You too. Thank you so much, Father. All right. It is 17 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Support is from TBN. Weaving its way through the heart of the Holy Land is a well-worn path that once felt the footsteps of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, and Jesus. Host David Friedman and Mike Pompeo take a sacred journey of hope along Route 60, the biblical highway. Experience the land of the Bible as you've never seen it. In theaters September 18th and 19th, Route 60, the biblical highway. Information at Route60.movie. That's Route60.movie. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. Wherever you are in the world, you can access the EWTN Global Catholic Network. It's everywhere. You can get EWTN's great Catholic programming on your car radio, at home on your TV, computer, or smart speaker. With EWTN's app, you can take EWTN everywhere on your phone or mobile device. If you want your news in print, turn to EWTN's paper of record, the National Catholic Register. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. 19 pass. Here's Anna with news. Hurricane, well, headlines. Headlines are a form of news. Okay, that's a good point. I just, you know, want to be specific here. Hurricane Lee is prompting hurricane and tropical storm watches in parts of the East Coast now. Pope Francis has renewed his appeal to the international community to come to the aid of Libya and to Morocco, both reeling from natural disasters. And in his catechesis at his general audience yesterday, the Holy Father focused on the man known as the doctor of the poor in Venezuela as he continued his series 
on apostolic seal. Next newscast at the top of... Oh, at the bottom, bottom of, the, of hour. the hour. You know, so you can see our facial expressions once we go video live uh, when Annie's like rolling her eyes when I just like miss <laughs> these tiny details. I wanted to share something. I didn't roll my eyes for Anna the record. Mitchell, that, that I feel like you might appreciate. Oh, okay. So this past Sunday, uh, we had some audio problems, some microphone problems at the Mass. Uh, retired priest uh, has been filling in, and um, I, I guess there was some miscommunication on how the mic worked, or maybe the mic just wasn't working at all. And mm-hmm couldn't really hear what was going on and it, it, it was what it was you know how you go to mass and you're like sometimes you're like wow this is so powerful and like everything is in the right place and then other times you go to mass you're like oh wow man this is a mess i'm glad that jesus is truly present despite our human failings right right uh got a note from someone who said they were interested in becoming catholic uh and i do rcia so i reached out to this person and they wrote back and they said, thank you for reaching out. I came to last Sunday's Mass. It was the first time I'd ever been to a Catholic church, and it was great. I'm so excited about meeting and started classes on Sunday. I was like, That's see, awesome. it works. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonrisemorningshow.com. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. If there is one psalm that bears a great fascination for Christians, it is Psalm 22. Like many others, it is a call for the Lord's help. But Psalm 22 contains elements that seem particularly Christian. The opening verse of the psalm was quoted by Jesus on the cross. Later verses give details of the sufferings that Jesus endured. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my prayer, from the words of my cry. My heart is like wax, melting away within my bosom. Indeed, many dogs surround me. A pack of evildoers closes in upon me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They have numbered all my bones. They look on me and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my vesture, they cast lots. O Lord, be not far from me. O my help, hasten to aid me. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Dale Paterka. It's 23 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Father Philip Michael Tangora is joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a pastor, a canon lawyer, and author of Holiness and Living the Sacramental Life. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Anna. It's good to have you back. So traditionally speaking, we're at sort of a turning point in the liturgical year. So each year, once we get past the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross on September 14th, how do we start sort of looking toward Advent? Well, with the Ember Days. What so are Ember Days? Ad- 
Ember days are days of prayer, fasting, penance. Uh, they're typically the Wednesday, Friday, Saturday after the exaltation of the cross. And they are these days that they happen each quarter of the year. So four times a year, typically. And you would have them to get ourselves prepared for uh, the the coming next uh, liturgical seasons and all that. They're, they they inspire within us a deeper co- uh, cultivation of our own spiritual life to, to take uh, inventory uh, every th- uh, few months. And they also uh, tend to conclude with a, a little bit of a celebration because you would have brought in the feast of the harvest uh, at the end. And that would be always a, a fun way of ending the Ember Days, typically. Well, if you don't fast, how are you going to appreciate a feast, huh? Exactly. I mean, that's the point of it. That's why it has the name Feast Day. Indeed. Um, <clears throat> I think it's interesting. I don't know if you can comment on this, um, because I don't know if it was liturgically deliberate. I always tend to believe that things are liturgically de- deliberate. Did you know that we are actually 40 days on from the Feast of the Transfiguration with the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross? Yes, uh, there is. there was a great logic between all of that. Uh, that is true. Uh, but and, and the important thing about the Exaltation of the Cross versus, say, Good Friday, mm-hmm. is Good Friday emphasizes the passion the, the death, the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. This is the exaltation of the cross is not about the passion of Jesus. It's about the victory. Uh, it's connected with St. Helena's finding of the true cross uh, during the excavations in Jerusalem to uh, discover and ascertain the location of Calvary and the Holy Sepulchre. And so this uh, occurred, and St. Helena, the uh, empress, who was the mother of Con- uh, Constantine, uh, discovered the true cross, and that occurred on this day. And then a few years later, uh, the emperor Constantine and St. Helena uh, had erected the Holy Sepulchre Church upon Mount Calvary and uh, and the uh, Holy Sepulchre, and that uh, is where uh, a relic of the the part of the true cross is kept to this very day. And that was consecrated and dedicated on September 13th. But on September 14th was the first time that the relic of the the, the actual true cross was publicly displayed. And so the people were able to venerate and recognize and interiorize through this celebration the power of the cross to transform one's life, just like you said with the transfiguration, because you see this, this is the, the glory of God. This is the victory of God. It's, it's taking away, it's, it's, it's a wonderful fe- uh, festival. Which I think comes out in, is it, isn't it the first reading on the Feast of the Holy Cross when Moses lifts the serpent up on the stake and anyone who looks upon it is healed? In the same exactly. way, that is how we are to look at the cross. Exactly. The source of our salvation, the source of our healing. Uh, it's not 
it's not supposed to be looked upon as a, a source of sorrow today, but it's about the venerating the cross, receiving the glory of Christ that comes from the cross and, and incorporating that into our life. Uh, earlier this morning, I had one of my masses de for deliverance uh, in my parish for this uh, wonderful festival. And the emphasis was on the fact that we have the power of the cross within us uh, as Christians by our baptism, by the reception of the Eucharist. We have the power of that transformative victory in Jesus Christ within us. And so we must have that strength within us to express in our moral decisions, in our, in our moral fiber, to, to be strong in Christ so that we are not so e easily swayed or becoming a, a pushover. We, not that we become aggressive, but that we must be assertive of the power of the cross that is within us and, and tell the devil to just go away. You know, because that power is within us and, and, and we need to allow ourselves to have that transformation truly interiorized so that we can have that integrity. So when the devil comes and it's a temptation or even if it's not a temptation, but it's it's the fact that it's um, someone trying to sway us away from Christ to have that firm grounding. No, this is I stand firm and firmly planted in Christ and and I can I can uh, receive your buffets but not not give way beautifully put thank you so much father Philip Michael Tangora you can find his book holiness and living the sacramental life linked at sunrisemorningshow.com happy feast of the exaltation of the holy cross tomorrow we celebrate the feast of our lady of sorrows which is my other favorite liturgical feast day these are great days that we have here in this uh this middle part of september anyway find all of our guests linked at sonrisemorningshow.com half past the hour now on the sunrise morning show it's time for news Hurricane Lee is prompting hurricane and tropical storm watches in parts of the East Coast. Mark Mayfield has more. The National Hurricane Center says hurricane conditions, heavy rainfall, and coastal flooding are possible in Maine this weekend. There's also potential for life-threatening storm surge flooding in Massachusetts. Lee remained a Category 2 storm as of late Wednesday night, hacking maximum sustained winds of roughly 105 miles per hour. I'm Mark Mayfield. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis renewed his appeal to the international community to help Libya, which has just been devastated by massive flooding. He asked the faithful to pray for those affected and called on the international community to come to their aid. He said, please do not fail in our solidarity with these brothers and sisters tried so hard by this calamity. He also called attention again to Morocco, where hopes are fading in the wake of a powerful earthquake of finding survivors. He said, my thoughts also go to the noble Moroccan people who have suffered these movements of the earth, these earthquakes. During his general audience catechesis, Pope Francis continued his series on apostolic zeal, focusing on the life of blessed Jose Gregorio Hernandez, known as the doctor of the poor. 
From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. The Holy Father, who beatified Hernandez in 2021, reflected on the Venezuelan doctor, a layperson who selflessly gave of himself entirely to help others. The Pope recalled that the blessed born in 1864 learned the faith above all from his mother, having said, My mother taught me virtue from the cradle. She made me grow in the knowledge of God. The Holy Father once again highlighted how mothers so often transmit the faith and love of Christ in their dialect to their children. The Pope recalled Hernandez close to the weakest. He was known in his homeland as the doctor of the poor. In the poor, sick, migrants, and the suffering, Jose Gregorio saw Jesus, a humble, cheerful, kind, and helpful man. Jose Gregorio, Pope Francis said, was moved by an inner fire, a desire to live in the service of God and neighbor. Driven by this ardor, he tried several times to become a religious and a priest, but various health problems prevented him from doing so. His physical frailty, the Pope highlighted, did not, however, lead him to close in on himself, but to become an even more sensitive doctor to the needs of others, saying he clung to providence. Apostolic zeal, the Pope said, is precisely this, not following one's own aspirations, but remaining available to God's designs. The Holy Father said he lived the priesthood of medicine and noted that his beautiful example should inspire Christians to get their own hands dirty. He was a man of prayer, the Pope said. However, his life of service would come to an end when he was only in his early 50s. Jose Gregorio had been at Mass and then gone down the street to bring medicine to a sick person. Crossing the street, he was hit by a car. His earthly journey thus ended the Pope acknowledged, on a road while doing a work of mercy and in a hospital where he had made his work a masterpiece of good. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. An abortion rights legal group is suing three states over laws restricting abortions. The Center for Reproductive Rights is suing Idaho, Oklahoma, and Tennessee on behalf of eight women, four OBGYNs, and an Idaho Medical Association. Lawsuits filed in Idaho and Tennessee argue that the women were denied access to abortion despite facing pregnancy complications. The lawsuits want states to put a hold on their abortion laws entirely and to clarify medical emergency exceptions. The White House is defending plans to swap money and prisoners for Americans detained in Iran. Trey Thomas reports. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby argued the arrangement does not amount to a ransom payment. The United States is pursuing an arrangement in which Iranian funds held in South Korea are moved to restricted accounts in Qatar where they would be available for humanitarian transactions only. The move would give Tehran access to $6 billion of its own oil revenue the U.S. had frozen through sanctions. I'm Trey Thomas. Ford CEO Jim Farley is batting back criticism by the head of the United Auto Workers Union that Ford is not taking bargaining seriously ahead of a deadline tonight before a potential strike. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. 
This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. Venial sin, no matter how slight it may be, displeases God. Therefore, if it displeases God, any will and affection that one has for venial sin is nothing less than a disposition to offend the divine majesty. Is it possible that an upright soul should not only displease God, but even nourish within itself an affection and a will to displease Him. There is nothing more contrary to charity or to the love of God than to have little concern for one's neighbor. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Chris Armstrong. Sunrise Morning Show continues. We're joined now by Stephanie Mann from Supremacy and Survival. She's got an English Reformation-themed blog uh, that we've got linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Stephanie, good morning. Good morning, man. So we've talked a lot uh, over the years about St. Thomas More, his connection to Henry VIII, yes. and, you know, of course, John Fisher, uh, the bishop, the one bishop who would not mm-hmm. go along with things, but uh, those were not the only people in Henry VIII's circle who he True. he uh, he lost patience with, and we're going to be talking about another person who he lost patience with today, right? Yes, Blessed Adrian Fortescue. I mean, I call him a friend of of Henry VIII, but you know, as Thomas More said, Henry VIII's friendship could end pretty abruptly. He once told his uh, son-in-law that. Uh, if if uh, his head, Thomas More's head, could win Henry a castle in France, his head would go <laughs> for the sake of the castle, and that's certainly I think what Adrian Fortescue felt found out too. He because he was one of those who's very much held in honor by Henry VIII. He was uh, he served him in his uh, military campaigns. He uh, went to the the great field of the cloth of gold in in uh, France. Uh, he was a justice of the peace. Uh, he was even a, a gentleman of the king's privy chamber, which and a privy chamber is uh, 16th century language for bathroom. And uh, so he was, again, a, a great servant to Henry VIII. And yet, the way that uh, the biographers of him say this, something changed. I mean, it's not clear that he actively opposed what Henry was doing. He went to the wedding, uh, Henry VIII's, the coronation and wedding of, uh, official wedding of Henry VIII and, and Anne Boleyn. But then I guess it was clear that he wasn't as enthusiastic about what Henry VIII was doing. And he was imprisoned once and then again 
and then finally executed. And even the, his date of execution isn't very clear. And uh, the bio, again, the biographers note that it, 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 you know, he wasn't accused of not taking the oath. He wasn't uh, tried. It was just a bill of um, parliament was passed that said that he'd been kind of generally seditious and, and uh, um, uh, refused allegiance. So, you know, not saying that he would actively opposed Henry VIII. So, but I think what was what uh, Father uh, Henry Sebastian Bowden points out most and gives two pages to in his book are the maxims that this man had collected and written in his book of hours that I think guided him to finally making that decision or doing something that indicated that he was opposed to Henry VIII and his uh, kind of ability to accept the this turn in fortunes that he experienced. You know, as you're saying this, I'm, I can't help but think back to the movie Hook, uh, which is, you know, Dustin Hoffman as Captain Hook, uh, Robin Williams as, oh, yeah. as, as yeah. Peter Pan, and and Captain Hook's given this rousing speech, and he's like, I'm going to kill Peter Pan, you know, who killed that crocodile, who stuffed him, you know, whatever, and who doubted me? And it all falls silent, he's like, one of you doubted me. I think one of you doubted me. You! You didn't cheer as loud as the mm. others is kind of what happens, right? And it seems as though that maybe yeah. Adrian Fortescue yeah. kind of got caught in that, like, uh, one of you's not making the right kind of smile towards my situation, right? I mean, it 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 comes off that way yeah, the way you tell it. It does. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the because uh, it being in prison twice, maybe he was questioned. He was imprisoned uh, uh, in 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 fifteen thirty four, the time when Henry is really moving into wanting oaths and wanting uh, uh, true allegiance, and so maybe there was some indication that he again that he wasn't as enthusiastic it doesn't say that he actually refused the oath he maybe even take took henry the eighth's oath it's not clear because if he hadn't taken the oath he would have been in the tower of london with saint john fisher and thomas moore and and some of those others that uh, initially at least wouldn't take the oath of uh first of of the the succession and then of supremacy so yeah it is interesting but i think what what I t took from, and the reason I think Father Henry Sebastian Bowden included all these maxims and uh, words. Yeah, that, I was going to ask that, you about uh, some of those because you don't get bless become it's a, Fortescue. Yeah, you don't become a canonized saint simply for being killed by Henry the Eighth, right? Uh, there has to be some kind of right. holiness and yeah. and virtue there. I wonder, as we're uh, you know kind of winding things down, if you could share two, three, or four of uh, of some sure. of these maxims of, of Blessed Adrian that we have. Well, the first one is, above all things, love God with all thy heart. Desire his honor more than the health of thine own soul. He's, he uh, says, go to confession. Uh, make sure that you, if you receive Holy Communion, receive it with entire devotion. Pray often. Resort to God every hour. Be pitiful to poor folk. Help them to thy power. Be diligent in giving alms. And then he says, and pray continually to God that you may do what is his pleasure. And finally, I think the one that probably helped him most in those last days was in prosperity, be meek of heart, and in adversity, patient. Well, thanks so much, Stephanie Mann, for helping us get to know Blessed Adrian Fortescue a little bit better. You can find Stephanie linked at Sunrise Morning Show. Dot com. Uh, you could find her blog, Supremacy and Survival, through there. And while you're there, please do consider putting in your email and subscribing to our show notes that come to your 
inbox every morning, first thing. It's like a, around the time that the show goes on, so you can see you know the prayers that we use. And uh, on Thursdays, Thursdays is really the day you want to subscribe for because Rita Heikenfeld's recipes are in the show notes on Thursdays. She's coming up and uh, speaking with us next hour. Uh, after the break, we'll take a look at headlines with Anna Mitchell, and then during Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, we're going to talk to pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast about how to address this question from a Catholic perspective. So please do stay with us as the Sunrise Morning Show continues after the break. It's 16 till. It's not over. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. I'm Marian Kuharski, director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Our messages feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy assistance. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. Please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. Why do we need Catholic Radio? Because not everybody is sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? Catholic Radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question-and-answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Father Wade thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. This is Dr. David Anders. Does the problem of evil keep you from believing in God? Join us for Called to Communion this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Fourteen minutes before the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. Hurricane Lee is now prompting hurricane and tropical storm watches in parts of the East Coast. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis renewed his appeal to the international community to come to the aid of Libya and Morocco, both of which devastated by natural disasters in the past week. And during his catechesis, he continued his series on apostolic zeal, focusing on Blessed Jose Gregorio Hernandez, known as the Doctor of the Poor. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast, a licensed counselor with decades of experience, both as a seminary instructor as well as a licensed counselor uh, helping men and women with the things that people wrestle with. Kevin, good morning. Hey, good morning, Matt. Great to be with you. Well, this is one of the most difficult topics that we 
have to yeah. talk about, um, but it is important to talk about it, and that's the question of suicide and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of course, bringing our Catholic perspective to bear on this. And maybe mm-hmm. a good place to start uh, would be, you know, what do we know about suicide in terms of stats and uh, who's most mm-hmm. vulnerable? And what are some of the things that people think they know about mm-hmm. suicide that isn't really true? Yeah. So today, Matt, I think it'd be great if we could talk about some of the misconceptions about suicide. And then maybe the next segment, we could talk about what we could do about prevention. This is National Suicide Awareness Month. And it really gets us into our faith. Like you said, it's about the Paschal mystery and the mystery of the cross and suffering and how we deal with that. So, you know, the good and bad news. So the suicide rate had started to go down before the pandemic, and then it's just jumped really high since 2021 as we came out of the pandemic and that a couple of things like every every day about 135 people in the united states commit suicide that's a lot of folks right and that you know sometimes a misconception might be that uh it's the young people who are committing suicide and there's still too many of them but actually that's dropped by about eight percent but on the other end people over 65 are, that rate has increased about 8% over the last couple of years. Men usually uh, commit suicide many more times than women, although women make more attempts. Men usually use more deadly, lethal means, particularly firearms. So, so it's a big uh, question, Matt. And, and the biggest group, that, when we look at all the demographics, the highest suicide rate is for our seniors over 85. So you can see, you know, losses, grief, uh, physical ailments, uh, losing a lot of friends, not having a support system, isolation, which gives us some things to think about. Like there's some populations we need to be aware of, right? Now, some of the myths, Matt, would be, and this is probably the most frequent one I hear, and unfortunately, you know, I was putting this topic together and thinking of all the people I know, unfortunately, that have taken their own lives. And people will usually say, we didn't see it coming, it just came out of the blue. And in my field, there's just not very many things that come out of the blue, and suicide is is one of those, right? It is, uh, it's, it's, we can see the signs afterwards. The problem is that suicidal people often don't, they're not clear about what uh, their intentions are. So the exact time and date and means and all that, we can't predict that. But usually people, people who commit suicide have generally tried to hurt themselves before, They generally have told somebody else that they're really in a bad place. They don't want to be around anymore, which that's, you know, grim, but it gives us some options for intervention. The other one is that, okay, once somebody has decided to commit suicide, there's nothing you can do to stop them. And all the research when people try to commit suicide, but don't complete it, or when we're putting together what we call psychological autopsies afterwards, a key word that comes up there is ambivalence right up until the moment that people actually do the act that takes their lives away. People are going back and forth, back and forth. They're even making plans about the future. They book cruises. They, you know, are planning vacations. And so that's the part that really upsets yeah, us. Is Kevin, that, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, have, I have a question about that, too, because yes. I think this really helps uh, give insight. And we're going to mm-hmm. get into this more in, in a little bit uh, as to, you know, why the church mm-hmm. says if this is someone you know, Entrust them to the divine mercy because you simply don't know what's happening in that last, yeah. that yeah. last millisecond <laughs> of, of where <laughs> where grace might break in, mm-hmm. uh, even in someone's uh, you know act of taking their own life. 
Yeah, that's right, Matt. So, and, and particularly for younger people or anybody, that people get on social media and they leave these cryptic clues, right? But I think what we could do, we'll get into that more in prevention, is when we when we start to be concerned, you know, having a face-to-face -face conversation. And, and so one of the myths is if you talk about suicide with somebody who's suicidal, you're going to force them, you're going to put the idea in their head, right? Well, that's not true. Actually, it's I find that it's a relief that many people just want to unburden their their hearts. Uh, there's three factors that come up, and you know these these are really important. Uh, one, this is from Dr. Thomas Joyner, who's a big suicidologist. So that people who are who do try to commit suicide take their own life, they feel intolerable, inescapable psychic pain. They're in tremendous emotional pain. So they're not trying to get back at other people. They're really absorbed in their own uh, pain. The second thing is that they start to feel that they're a burden to other people, that everybody else would be better off if I weren't here. Thinking about some of our elderly who I know have that, that kind of thought, like I'm useless. My life is, there's no point to it. Everybody else would be better if I'm gone. And then the third one, suicide is starts to be seen as a way out of the pain. Uh, so, and that's why people have maybe tried to do uh, overdoses, chemicals, uh, maybe try to cut themselves, and then it escalates. So when we know that, the, you know, just to, I think for empathy, that we can say you're in a lot of pain. But suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Whatever you're going through, even if it seems completely overwhelming and devastating, uh, suicide is not going to make it better. And the church teaches there's misconceptions about this. Uh, you know, that it, we look at the catechism 22, 82, 83. So it says psychological disturbances, anguish, they give a number of things, can diminish the responsibility of the one committing suicide. And like you said, we should not despair of eternal salvation for these people. The church prays for persons who have taken their own lives, and we commend them to God's mercy. So I think these are these are helpful things that uh, don't don't give up. We we want to try to intervene that people maybe are going through that that pain and back and forth, and then we can be paid careful attention to, you know, the warning signs. It's it's not a bad idea to to say you know I'm I'm concerned about you. I love you. I need you to get some help. There's a national hotline now for mental health for suicide, 988, that you can dial anywhere, anytime. Every county has a mental health crisis line. You could just look that up in whatever county you're in. And so, you know, people can get help. And, and maybe, you know, I've had to take people to the emergency room before uh, to try to assess, you know, how serious this is. And we don't know. We're, you know, most people are not mental health professionals. So there's many more people who think when I talk to them, they say, you know, if I just didn't wake up in the morning, that'd be fine with me. Well, that's not active suicidal ideation as opposed to I've got a plan. Uh, this is when I'm going to do it. This is where I'm going to do it. This is how I'm going to do it. So those are, are very bad. And then if we know somebody in our family who's tried to hurt themselves before, that's a big risk factor. And we want to try to encourage these people as much as we can to get some help. And then, you know, unfortunately, when someone takes their life, we're left with feelings of uh, d despair. We feel powerless. Sometimes we're angry at the person that took their lives. Like, why didn't they take, you know, why didn't they talk to us before? Or what was my last conversation that I had with them? Did I miss uh, some kind of signal? I'm a mental health professional. I've been doing this for 35 years. I've had clients who have killed themselves in the locked ward in a psychiatric unit or in the jail when they're on a suicide, a 15 minute check-in. So, you know, when people get to that final stage, 
we just have to let go. We have to trust in God's mercy uh, that they, they've made this decision. But we want to keep on trying as best we can, but not to feel we're not responsible. We're not God, and we can't read somebody's mind. But we sure can offer love, tolerance. And I think that point about people being in overwhelming pain uh, that way we don't accuse them, we don't um, make them feel guilty or they're somehow defective because they're feeling this way. They're really suffering, and that's where our, our faith can come in. We can pay, pray for the people who are in our life who are going through really bad times and are depressed. Yeah, I've heard some people say, well, the church doesn't say suicide's a sin anymore. I'm like, well, yeah, it does. The church actively yeah. and objectively <laughs> yeah. says taking your yeah. own life is a gravely immoral mm -hmm. act. Uh, yeah. But uh, what we have to assess in these, yeah. just as we do with every immoral act, is what mm. is the level of culpability here? Um, yeah. You know, yeah. how, how right. responsible is yeah. someone for and, their own actions? And physician-assisted suicide is a whole different topic. That's, so that's a very different topic. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> or I was even thinking, I, I know you deal with first responders, people who, mm -hmm. you know, perhaps do something in hopes that, uh, you know, yeah. police will shoot them. I mean, there's a, there's a whole bunch of, there's a range of stuff here, yeah. but this is a really good uh, foundation yeah. for uh, yeah. our next conversation about yeah. Thanks, man. Uh, about this. So thank you, Kevin Prendergast. Okay. Well, care. we got another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up. Please do stay with us as we continue on most of these EWTN affiliate stations. Back after the break, it is three minutes before the hour. It is Thursday, the 14th of September. It's the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. And let's begin together by praying a prayer written by, uh, by Padre Pio in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. O Lord, we ask for a boundless confidence and trust in your divine mercy and the courage to accept the crosses and sufferings which bring immense goodness to our souls and that of your church. Help us to love you with a pure and contrite heart and to humble ourselves beneath your cross as we climb the mountain of holiness carrying our cross that leads to heavenly glory. May we receive you with great faith and love and holy communion and allow you to act in us as you desire for your greater glory. O Jesus, most adorable heart and eternal fountain of divine love, may our prayer find favor before the divine majesty of your heavenly Father. Amen. It is a better way to start a Thursday, the Sunrise Morning Show, here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We'll talk to Dr. John Bergsma, who's been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics, looking, about, uh, looking at rather uh, the ways that God's relationship with his people is articulated throughout scriptures. Today, we're in Isaiah. Rita Heikenfeld has some late summer gardening tips for you this morning in our Bible Foods segment. Gary Machuda has more uh, insights, and these have been really fascinating, into the ways that Jesus taught uh, so that the people who were hearing him would be able to easily remember his teachings. And then Catherine Nolte has a book called Back to the Bright Before. Looks like some interesting youth reading. 
for you, a little youth fiction. So stay with us if you can. Right now, it is two minutes past the hour. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Forecasters are now predicting Hurricane Lee will reach New England's coast by Friday. The National Hurricane Center says Lee will likely still be a large and dangerous cyclone when it reaches southeastern New England late tomorrow and then will move over Maine and Atlantic Canada during the weekend. Hurricane and tropical storm warnings have been posted along the New England and Canadian coasts and Southeastern Massachusetts is under a storm surge watch. As of late yesterday, Lee was about 900 miles south of Nantucket and moving northward with wind speeds of 105 miles per hour. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis renewed his appeal to the international community to come to the aid of Libya, which has just been devastated by massive flooding. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. Pope Francis said, my thoughts go out to the people of Libya, hard hit by violent rains that caused flooding and inundation, resulting in numerous deaths and injuries, as well as extensive damage. The Holy Father invited all the faithful to join him in praying for those who have lost their lives and for their families and those who have been displaced. Mayor solidarity with these brothers and sisters, he said, who are so sorely tried by this calamity not to be lacking. According to the Reuters news agency, the desperate search for thousands of people missing after catastrophic flooding with more than 5,300 confirmed dead. The death toll is expected to rise dramatically. A powerful storm burst dams in the area, unleashing a torrent of water that devastated a quarter or more of the Mediterranean city of Derna and washed away buildings along with their residents. Some 10,000 people are estimated to be missing, and many are believed to have been swept out to sea. After praying for victims of the flooding in Libya, Pope Francis said, My thoughts also go to the noble Moroccan people who have suffered these movements of the earth, these earthquakes. Almost 3,000 people are known to have died in the magnitude 6.8 quake that struck the country on Friday, and more than 5,500 injuries have been reported. Hopes of finding survivors are fading. Many of the victims reside in small villages and mountain areas that rescue and aid workers are struggling to reach. In his remarks on Wednesday, Pope Francis urged prayers for Morocco and its people, asking that the Lord might give them strength to recover after this terrible disaster they have endured. I'm Christopher Wells. At his general audience catechesis, the Holy Father focused on a man known as the Doctor of the Poor in Venezuela as he continued his series on apostolic zeal. The Pope said, Blessed Jose Gregorio Hernandez saw Jesus in the poor, the sick, and the suffering and in the migrant. He said the success he never sought in the world, he received and continues to receive from the people who call him saint of the people, apostle of charity, and missionary of hope. An abortion rights legal group is suing three states over laws that restrict abortions. The Center for Reproductive Rights is now suing Idaho, Oklahoma, and Tennessee on behalf of eight women four OBGYNs, and an Idaho Medical Association. Lawsuits filed in Idaho and Tennessee argue that the women were denied access to abortion despite facing dangerous pregnancy complications. The lawsuits want state courts to put a hold on their abortion laws entirely and to clarify medical emergency exceptions. The United Auto Workers Union is prepared for a likely strike against Detroit's big three automakers. 
Mark Mayfield reports. On Wednesday, Union President Sean Fain ruled out any extension of the existing contracts with GM, Ford, and Stellantis after they expire Thursday night. He noted that September the 14th is a deadline, not a reference point. Members are at odds with the companies over wage increases, pensions, and job protections. Fain said initial strike locations would be limited and targeted if no deal is reached. I'm Mark Mayfield. Ford CEO Jim Farley is batting back criticism by Sean Fain of the United Auto Workers Union that he that Ford is not taking bargaining seriously ahead of tonight's strike deadline. Farley said on Wednesday that Ford has not received a genuine counteroffer on their latest proposal. He also called out Fain for not attending a meeting Tuesday with the Ford CEO and company chairman Bill Ford. And the Strong National Museum Hall of Fame in Rochester, New York, has announced the toys that are the candidates for induction into the National Toy Hall of Fame. Among the list of 12 are Battleship, Connect Four, Baseball Cards, Bingo, Nerf Toys, Slime, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. People can vote online for their favorites until September 20th. The winning toys will be made public in November. So how many go in? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Hmm. National toy. I, uh, I understand why baseball cards are on that list, but mm-hmm. I have a moral objection to them being referred to as toys. <laughs> so the reason being, Anna Mitchell, um, is that you know there are people who own – I mean, I've got – I got – a like 4,000 baseball cards. Mm-hmm. Paul Lockman can tell you it really helps me on the Immaculate Grid because I just remember what my 1989 Donruss set looks like. But I, the, the only condition under which I can see them thought of as toys is if people are putting them in the spokes of their bike to make cool sounds as they drive by. And that, to me, is an abuse of a baseball card. Um, Matt, I am so glad that you mentioned that because I'm now looking at the National Museum of Play and their nominations. It says, through the decades, kids and adults alike have collected baseball cards for the thrill of possessing images of their favorite players or trying to collect a pricey rarity. Baseball cards are used in card trading and schoolyard bartering as well as other flipping games. For some, they become a playful add-on to bicycle spokes, no. generating a fun and memorable click no. for the rider. Not even your common cards. I would like to mention that Cabbage Patch Kids is also on here. Huge part of my childhood. Uh, choose your own adventure game books. Did you ever use those, Matt? Oh, of course. I never did, but I'm aware oh, of Oh, I, I was a big choose your own adventure guy. You know, I'd rip off a Cabbage tykes, Patch arm and stick it in my bike spokes. The Little Tykes Cozy Coop. Is uh is one of the other nominees, and then Ken. I stick I'd stick Ken in my bike spokes too. <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> Whew. Today is Thursday, September the fourteenth. One of my favorite days on the liturgical calendar: the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. Dr. John Bergsma back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We've been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So we are continuing to look at the love of God for his people as expressed in the prophets. And we talked last time about the 
spousal imagery in Hosea, or I guess I should say the unfaithful spousal imagery. Um, Today we are going to look at a passage in the prophet Isaiah that you cite in your chapter here on the prophets. This is Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 3. It says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, merciful love for David." Now, Doc, why is this passage significant when we talk about this idea of spousal love between God and Israel? Yes. Well, it follows on Isaiah 54, where we get beautiful language about God resuming his marriage with Israel. And then this uh, call to the poor of the earth, Anna, the people who have no money, who are lacking, you know, the price for a meal, are all being invited to this wonderful banquet. And it's really a wedding banquet, because when they come and participate in this banquet and and listen to God's summons, they will enter into a covenant. And that's what happens at a wedding banquet. A wedding banquet is a celebration of a covenant that's being formed between a bride and groom. And so they respond to this call of God. They come to this wonderful banquet, and then God makes with them this unbreakable covenant that is the same love, the same covenantal love, that he had for David. So they come into what we call the Davidic uh, covenant. So it's connected with that previous chapter and the idea of God reestablishing the marital covenant with the people of Israel. Can you talk about God's uh, game here? I guess you could say um, why this would be so important, so enticing, I think, to, to people who were living in exile because they felt like they had been, as it were, divorced by God, like God had abandoned them, cast them away because of their sins, because of their unfaithfulness. And living in poverty, living in exile, uh, this sense that uh, there was no future. And into that reality, Isaiah comes, and he speaks these words of hope, and tells the people of Israel, despite the poverty that you're experiencing now, despite the sense that you're at the mercy of your enemies and you have no national future and you don't have a personal future with God, God is going to come one day and offer you this invitation to come into an intimate relationship with Himself without any preconditions and establish with you this eternal bond. And of course, Anna, we read this, uh, this is one of the readings during the Easter Vigil, 
as we are preparing. Actually, we read both Isaiah 54 and 55 here, mm. both those passages in the Easter Vigil, as we're preparing people to come and, uh, well, lo and behold, you know, partake in a free meal, which is going to initiate them into a new covenant. Quite the feast that you get when uh, when entering into the fullness of communion with, with the Church in, in the Holy Eucharist. And actually, I... I think this is interesting too, and maybe maybe this is wrongheaded on my part, but I was thinking about this passage in light of of those who got to stay and sort of replant Jerusalem, um, because the the people who were exiled were exiled because they were enslaving their brother, right? So those mm-hmm. who were enslaved got to stay behind and 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 be invited to this feast as well. Absolutely. It extends to all, you know, and there was a sense among ancient Israelites that uh, wealth was a sign that you were favorable to God, and wealth also enabled you to keep the cleanliness laws of Moses, because you could afford a ritual bath in your own home, and you didn't have to do manual labor, etc. And so there was a strong sense in ancient times that, boy, if you're poor— um, you know, if you worked the land, you weren't pleasing to God. But uh, such is not the case, and uh, this beautiful passage calls those without material resources uh, into this relationship with God and assures them that this banquet is coming that's going to bring them into an unbreakable uh, spousal relationship with the God of Israel. Well, wow, that's really interesting that they would think that manual labor with the land was not good. I mean, that was the first thing that God told Adam, right, was to till and keep the garden? Absolutely. Yeah, but in time, you know, having a job that uh, did not require you to have contact with the earth or animals, et cetera, all of which could huh. be sources of uncleanness, that wow. became a real thing, especially in the first century when we're looking at the Gospels. So, you know, the Pharisees tried to avoid that kind of stuff. They were, so to speak, white-collar workers. Really interesting. Okay, I want to close out the conversation. Uh, Reading the next two verses after what I just read um, a little bit ago, these are verses 4 and 5. It says, Behold, talking about David here, Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call nations that you know not, and nations that knew you not shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So this is not just the people of Israel who are being invited to this wedding banquet. No, indeed. It's really quite amazing because in those passages, we see an anticipation of something that could not have been predicted or anticipated, uh, you know, back in the 700s, 600s, etc. BC. Um, here we're talking about uh, Gentile groups like, say, Germans, Dutch, <laughs> Chinese, <et cetera>. Americans, <laughs> Americans who never had contact with ancient Israel, actually seeking out the God of Israel. Uh, so quite remarkable. Wow. Love Basics for Catholics is linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. John Bergsmith, thank you so much. Absolutely. Talk to you next time. Sounds good. All right, 18 past. We're back with headlines right after this. 
For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. The first annual Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage, sponsored by the Dominican Friars Foundation, will take place on Saturday, September 30th at the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. This all-day event will feature conferences by Father Gregory Pine, resuscitation of the rosary, a fervorino by Father Lawrence Liu, and mass with Father James Brent as homilist. Join us for this day of prayer to Our Lady. For more information, visit rosarypilgrimage.org. That's rosarypilgrimage.org. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon, you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. Now there's a fast and easy way to get in touch with EWTN. The EWTN Everything Number. Call 1-800-447-EWTN to get the latest information on programming, special events, pilgrimages, and more. You can even make a donation. Our EWTN Family Viewer Services representatives are ready to help you with whatever your needs may be. The EWTN Everything Number. 1-800-447-EWTN. EWTN. 20 minutes past. Here's Anna with headlines. Forecasters are predicting Hurricane Lee will reach the New England coast by tomorrow. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis renewed his appeal for aid for Libya and Morocco. And in his catechesis, focused his apostolic zeal, catechesis, on the man known as the doctor of the poor. Pretty cool story. I'd never heard of this story. I know. He was only beatified like a year or two ago. What would you say his name was? Blessed, Blessed Jose Gregorio Hernandez. Jose Gregorio Hernandez. Venezuela. I he does sound kind of like a baseball player. I know, right? Now stepping up to the plate. Jose Gregorio Hernandez. Doctor of the poor. Doctor of the poor. I like it. It's 21 past. I'm and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence. 
the St. Monica Sodality Prayer for Fallen Away Catholics. Eternal and merciful Father, I give you thanks for the gift of your divine Son who suffered, died, and rose for all mankind. You gave St. Monica a spirit of selfless love manifested in her constant prayer for the conversion of her son, Augustine. Inspired by boundless confidence in your power to move hearts, I pray the grace to imitate her constancy in my heart for those who no longer share in the intimate life of your Catholic family. Grant through my prayer that they may be open to the promptings of your Holy Spirit and return to loving union with your church. Grant that also my prayer be ever hopeful and that I may never judge another, for you alone can read hearts. I ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. It is time for Bible Foods with Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com. And today we get to talk about taking care of that garden in the late summer months. Rita, good morning. Good morning. And you know our colleague, Annie, gave me this idea, and I think it's just great for this time of year. Well, there's a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 20 that does sort of uh, get at the principle here. I wonder if you could share that with us. Oh, sure. It's, it's the, uh, the Bible passage, Matt, um, when you think of the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And you're right, it's in Matthew uh, 20. Those uh, people who went to work late still got the same pay as those who actually began at the beginning of the day. So we're talking about planting early in the season and then again late in the season. All right, so you're saying it is still possible to plant some stuff even in September. Yeah, you know, it's not such a crazy idea at all, um, because when you think of vegetable and herb gardening, it doesn't really end with summer. There's still plenty of time in early, um, emphasis on early fall to grow produce. All right, so if that's the case, there are certain things you can do and certain things that you can't do. So uh, what would you say, maybe to help us understand, uh, what kind of plants thrive better in those spring conditions versus those fall conditions? Well, you just said it perfectly, Matt. Uh, The plants, usually the plants that we uh, put in the garden in early spring, most of those can really be grown in late summer and early fall. And, And in fact, some really thrive under cooler conditions. And I'm talking about things like spinach, lettuce, kale and collards, um, I still grow those. I don't know if many people do. Any, any of those uh, mustardy greens really are good crops to grow because they love cool weather. And then think about this, the radishes, beets, carrots, broccoli, um, again, mustard greens, and, and even onions. Now, onions may not reach their what I call their full potential, but you'll get a lot of green onions and small onions. Uh, when you plant outdoors this time of year. So, yeah, and a lot of great things for the salad, I think, too. Well, and when you mention some of those, like kale and collards, those, uh, you know, during these days where it's starting to get a little cooler at night, I mean, those are good, like, cool weather comfort foods, you know, get a pot of collards going with a little ham and some vinegar in them. I mean, that's a that's a pretty good September afternoon meal. It really is. And also, when you plant in fall, especially the greens, the, um, they don't get so buggy, you know, in the spring and early summer. Um, it seems like the creatures love those greens, um, the caterpillars and, and such. So it's a good time of year to plant those. 
I got to tell you, man, they were hard on my cabbages this year. Rita. Oh, it was oh my bad. gosh, the cabbage, yeah, the cabbage butterfly, the little green worm. I oh. know, I know it. The worst. <laughs> All right, well, so I guess one of, one of the things we have to worry about here is like a timing issue too, you know, because there are people listening all over the country, you know, from Florida up to Minnesota, and so we got some Canadian listeners, and I imagine that it's good for everybody to sort of check the back of that packet to see how long it takes some of these things to grow before they get started on it. Yeah, uh, excuse me, that's a good point. Um, thinking like greens, like lettuce, they take, oh, where I, here I am in, in southwestern Ohio, about 40, 45 days to mature completely. Um, and the good thing about that is do check the seed packet, that's for sure. And the nice thing is that most of those greens, they're cut and come again, so you can cut them down to soil level and they'll come again. So it's, it's, they're wonderful to be able to grow, to extend the garden and, and really your health. And container garden too, right? I mean, that's still an option as well. Oh, yeah. The containers, I love this because the kids especially love this. Um, this is a great time of year to plant a salad garden like we did in the spring in containers in um, old colanders. You can do lettuces, radishes, carrots, even herbs. Um, some of the Bible herbs like dill and chives and, and cilantro are good, and they grow nice and tender, so they're not quite as pungent tasting as they would be um, in the spring. So really a good time, again, of year to plant some of those healthy greens and herbs. Well, how much of this can you do indoors? Like if you wanted to grow some of these things indoors as things get cooler and uh, we head towards first frost. Well, first, if you're transitioning like your outdoor produce herbs, for instance, herbs to indoors, uh, you really need to go slow. I'll put uh, my herbs, the container herbs from outdoors into a shady place for a time just to acclimate them to an indoor environment before I put them indoors. I also check for hitchhikers, little creatures that may be at the bottom of the pot. All right, so there are some people who have lots of things left over from their garden that they haven't figured out what to do with them. You've got an end-of-summer garden pasta recipe. We've linked it at sunrisemorningshow.com, but run it down for us. Oh, it is so delicious, and I know you'll do your Matt take on this. Um, just, it, it's really easy. Some uh, tomatoes, they can be cherry or otherwise. Um, you're going to put some tomatoes, some olive oil, some garlic, and basil leaves. And I like to add a little bit of, of red pepper flakes and salt and maybe some more pepper in a bowl. And then you just stir that up and cover that uh, dressing or topping with plastic wrap. And you can leave it set for about four hours. And then right before you're ready to serve, you just bring a, you know, a pot of water um, to boil. And I like to use angel hair pasta. And another tip is I usually put a couple... Um, tablespoons of salt and a little bit of olive oil in the pan that they're cook that the pasta's cooking in. It cooks pretty quick. Um, and basically you drain it and then um, add that to the bowl with a cherry tomato mixture. And then you're going to add some Parmesan cheese and maybe some extra basil. Toss that in. Delicious. Um, and a nice fall meal and quick too. It sounds delicious. You know, the, the one thing I was thinking is I put a squeeze of lemon in there. Oh, that would be good. And that the other thing be. I was thinking, as you were saying, I was like, this would be good cold, I bet. You know, it makes a great salad, and also even stuffed in pita pockets for lunch, it's good, too. Well, as you're saying all this, where you're getting the angel hair pasta from the pantry and the fresh stuff from the garden, it reminds me of another Bible verse, Matthew 13, 52, that every scribe who understands the kingdom of heaven is like a man who brings out of the storehouse things that are new and things that are old, both the I fresh stuff and the stuff from the pantry. And there well, you go. 
There you go. That's a perfect way to end this segment for sure. Abouteating.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Half past, here's Anna with news. Good morning. Hurricane Lee is now prompting hurricane and tropical storm watches in parts of the East Coast. Mark Mayfield has more. The National Hurricane Center says hurricane conditions, heavy rainfall, and coastal flooding are possible in Maine this weekend. There's also potential for life-threatening storm surge flooding in Massachusetts. Lee remained a Category 2 storm as of late Wednesday night, hacking maximum sustained winds of roughly 105 miles per hour. I'm Mark Mayfield. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis renewed his appeal to the international community to come to the aid of Libya, which has just been devastated by massive flooding. He thanked, he asked the faithful to pray for those affected and called on the international community to come to their aid. He said, please do not fail in our solidarity with these brothers and sisters tried so hard by this calamity. He also called attention to the noble people of Morocco, where Hopes are fading in the wake of a powerful earthquake last week of finding survivors. He said, my thoughts also go to the noble Moroccan people who have suffered these movements of the earth, these earthquakes. During his general audience catechesis, Pope Francis continued his series on apostolic zeal, focusing on blessed Jose Gregorio Hernandez, known as the doctor of the poor. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Luboff reports. The Holy Father, who beatified Hernandez in 2021, reflected on the Venezuelan doctor, a layperson who selflessly gave of himself entirely to help others. The Pope recalled that the blessed born in 1864 learned the faith above all from his mother, having said, My mother taught me virtue from the cradle. She made me grow in the knowledge of God. The Holy Father once again highlighted how mothers so often transmit the faith and love of Christ in their dialect to their children. The Pope recalled Hernandez close to the weakest. He was known in his homeland as the doctor of the poor. In the poor, sick, migrants, and the suffering, Jose Gregorio saw Jesus, a humble, cheerful, kind, and helpful man. Jose Gregorio, Pope Francis said, was moved by an inner fire, a desire to live in the service of God and neighbor. Driven by this ardor, he tried several times to become a religious and a priest, but various health problems prevented him from doing so. His physical frailty, the Pope highlighted, did not, however, lead him to close in on himself, but to become an even more sensitive doctor to the needs of others, saying he clung to providence. Apostolic zeal, the Pope said, is precisely this, not following one's own aspirations, but remaining available to God's designs. The Holy Father said he lived the priesthood of medicine and noted that his beautiful example should inspire Christians to get their own hands dirty. He was a man of prayer, the Pope said. However, his life of service would come to an end when he was only in his early 50s. Jose Gregorio had been at Mass and then gone down the street to bring medicine to a sick person. Crossing the street, he was hit by a car. His earthly journey thus ended the Pope acknowledged, on a road while doing a work of mercy and in a hospital where he had made his work a masterpiece of good. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. The U.S. has approved a $5 billion sale of F-35 fighter jets to South Korea. The State Department says it informed Congress yesterday that it gave the green light to the sale of 25 Lockheed Martin fighter jets. The department said in a statement that the sale will improve South Korea's capability to meet current and future threats, and to deter aggression in the region in cooperation with U.S. forces. The sale comes as tensions with North Korea continue to rise. North Korean officials say Kim Jong-un 
invited Russian President Vladimir Putin to visit his country. The announcement came after the two leaders met at a Russian spaceport yesterday for a five-hour-long meeting. The White House is defending plans to swap money and prisoners for Americans detained in Iran. Trey Thomas has more. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby argued the arrangement does not amount to a ransom payment. The United States is pursuing an arrangement in which Iranian funds held in South Korea are moved to restricted accounts in Qatar where they would be available for humanitarian transactions only. The move would give Tehran access to $6 billion of its own oil revenue. The U.S. had frozen through sanctions. I'm Trey Thomas. And the Biden administration is awarding more than a billion dollars in grants to give Americans more access to trees and green spaces. That's the news. It's 35 past the hour. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon, you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, Do the sacraments always give grace? The sacraments do always give grace if we receive them with the right dispositions. Consider this, does food always nourish us? Well, the food can nourish us, and yet sometimes, perhaps, my body is unable to assimilate it. In this case, there's nothing wrong with the food, but there's something wrong with the eater. And it's just the same as with the sacraments. At times, we can receive what is truly nourishing, but it doesn't nourish us. If we've received the sacrament of the Eucharist without confessing our mortal sins, then we are no longer able to receive the grace that it naturally conveys. Let us then prepare to have the right disposition for receiving the Eucharist, going to our fast, and also preparing ourselves by means of confessing our sins when it's necessary. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. The Sunrise Morning Show continues on this Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross, as Anna mentioned earlier, one of her favorite feast days on the calendar. And, of course, tomorrow we've got another feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, of course, the whole month of September dedicated to Our Lady of Sorrows. We're joined now by Gary Machuda from Hands-On Apologetics, and it's a great resource for all kinds of information. Uh, If you're trying to figure out how to explain the faith to other people, or explain it to yourself. Gary Machuda, good morning. Morning, Matt. So we've been going through your book, The Gospel Truth, and uh, really zeroing in on some of these memory methods that Jesus used for um, you know, helping people to 
easily recall his teachings or helping them to sink in, like any good teacher would try and do, right? I mean, but Jesus is, if he is at least a great teacher, as a lot of even non-Christians believe, then it helps to understand that. And you've got some really fascinating things uh, where Jesus maps stuff up against feasts and seasons. We talked about this a little bit um, in regard to the Feast of Tabernacles. If you could, let's start by just sort of reviewing uh, how Jesus taught about that one. Yeah, well, the the Feast of Tabernacles had all sorts of ceremonies that would take place, and one of them was the uh, the water pouring ceremony, which took place on I think the, the you know the climax of, of Tabernacles, where the priests would pour water and wine, and and it just so happens Jesus has this uh, line that he yells out in the crowd saying. All of you who thirst, come to me and drink, for out of you will come living waters. And uh, so, you know, the Feast of Tabernacles is celebrated annually. So it makes sense that after uh, Christ's death and resurrection, whenever Christians would come to Jerusalem to celebrate tabernacles, they would go through that, and of course that would evoke Jesus' words. And and the same thing's true for... um, you know, other things as well. Uh, for example, there was also a lamp lighting ceremony, which was really, must have been spectacular when the uh, temple was uh, still standing. And it's during this light, probably during this light uh, lighting ceremony, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so by mapping on his discourse to uh, liturgical feasts, what happens is, Every time that feast is celebrated, it evokes those words. Well, probably calls to mind other things uh, and aspects of his teaching, like, yeah, who yeah. would put this under a basket, <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> right. If, if I had one of these. Exactly. Like, I mean, there are a lot of a lot of things like that that are in there. But, of course, the, the, the one feast that we know about extremely well uh, is the Passover. Uh, and Jesus is fulfilling the Passover, but he's also using the Passover as this extraordinary teaching moment in a lot of different ways to help people uh, remember and understand what it is that he's doing. Exactly. Yeah, it wasn't by accident that he institutes the Mass during Passover. So he's taking all that information about uh, God's deliverance of his people, and he transforms the feast on Passover. So again, like you said, Every time Passover is celebrated by the early Jewish Christians, you know, it, it evokes all these um, memories of the, the Passover celebration. Not only that, of course, but the Mass. Every time Christians celebrated the Mass, um, you know, his words are recited throughout the Mass, So, especially the words of institution. So again, you have this mapping on a liturgical feast, and like we mentioned before, memorization, wrote, you know, repeating things over and over kind of cements things in our mind. And so by doing that, his words are cemented. So there is this ingrained memory within the early Church of what Jesus said and did during the Passover. And there are so many layers of that. Of course, uh, Dr. Brant Petrie has written a lot about this in Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. There are other great resources that talk about this, but... Um, When John is uh, writing his gospel narrative and trying to help people make these connections, I think it's just extraordinary which things which gospel writers choose to highlight from each of these accounts. And one of them uh, is 
absolutely fascinated me. So in the original Passover, the Israelites, they used hyssop branches, and Rita Heikenfeld, our Bible foods lady, would tell us that those are uh, related to the oregano family, all right? So the Israelites <laughs> use hyssop branches to smear lamb's blood over the doorposts. So you've got a hyssop branch and blood, uh, you know, so I wonder if you could kind of explain how John's gospel helps us make that connection uh, between what's happened in the Passover and what's happening at the cross. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in John 19, uh, John draws all sorts of parallels. Of course, um, even uh, when Jesus is crucified, the Passover lambs were being slaughtered. And we learned through Josephus that uh, in the preparation of the lambs, they would put two sticks, one down the backside and one across the shoulders. And uh, so there'd be all these crucified or cruciformed lambs during Passover. That's one thing, but it's not mentioned in the Gospels. The other thing, of course, is John says that not a bone of him shall be broken when the soldiers didn't break Jesus' legs, and that fulfilled uh, the prescription for the Passover lamb. And, uh, yeah, he goes through and uh, picks out these details as fulfillments. And, again, you know, whenever Passover is celebrated, of course, that would evoke these memories of the crucifixion and details of the crucifixion. Yeah, that that wine uh, being offered on a sprig of hyssop, the night before yeah. Jesus has lift, lifted up a cup of wine and said, "This is my blood." <laughs> you know, what I mean, yeah. What a what a wild set of connections. I mean, what's fascinating to me is that Jesus basically said, "I'm going to take the thing that you know better than everything, the Passover, right? The one ho- right. holiday that you know better than anything else, and I'm going to use it to explain everything, <laughs> right? So that <laughs> the, one of the things you have the most." clear associations with and the and the strongest images and strongest associations and probably emotions connected to in your mind, that's what I'm going to use to teach you. I mean, and this was really clearly the plan from the beginning, if you pay attention to how salvation history unfolds. Yeah, and yeah, that's what's the amazing thing about the Bible. It isn't just stuff that happened to Israel. God is actually forming these institutions, these celebrations, these feasts, so that like you said, he already lays down the, grain, the the groundwork so that when the Messiah comes, the Messiah just has to touch on these points. And like you said, you know, it evokes all this memory, the emotion. And, of course, it makes it indelible in their memory as well. I mean, can you imagine being one of those church fathers who's, you know, putting all the, the dots together for the first time and is like, oh, wait. You know, <laughs> as the Holy Spirit exactly. is kind of unfolding these, these things to the church, or, you know, who knows how much of this occurred to the apostles at once when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, uh, or were the things that St. That Paul began to sort of realize and, and connect dots as he's like, oh, wait, Jesus is the new Adam. You know, like, can you? I, I just think what an extraordinary thing for these first fathers in the faith uh, to start to put these pieces together and realize what is happening here and how it all fits together. Yeah, and that's why the early church is so important, because, you know, to us 2,000 years later, we don't always pick up those little signals. Like when Jesus gives the keys to Peter, you know, for them, that was an institution of the uh, office of the prime minister of the kingdom. So they knew what that meant. But us today, you know, keys, what are keys? Keys help you start a car. So what does that mean? Jesus keys are a thing keys you put a button on and your car goes, 
you know like i mean yeah, we don't even right. have like the same kind of concept right some of us have codes on yeah. our doors i'll give you the codes to the garage door it's not the same thing right, right? it's not the same thing exactly. but man these would have been powerful powerful images and powerful images associated with the biggest holidays holy days uh, on the jewish calendar so Great stuff, Gary Machuda. If our listeners want to get your book, The Gospel Truth, uh, which is all about uh, explaining why we can trust the Gospels, how do they get a copy? Sure. Just go to stpaulcenter.com, stpaulcenter.com. Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks, as always. Have a great day. You too, Matt. 14 till Anna Mitchell's back right after this. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Support is from TBN. Weaving its way through the heart of the Holy Land is a well-worn path that once felt the footsteps of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, and Jesus. Host David Friedman and Mike Pompeo take a sacred journey of hope along Route 60, the biblical highway. Experience the land of the Bible as you've never seen it. In theaters September 18th and 19th, Route 60, the biblical highway. Information at Route60.movie. That's Route60.movie. The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. You know, I have never seen women who want to be equal absolutely degrading themselves. And yet the media degrades your nature, your beauty as a woman, your your goodness. Let us pray. At some point, our dear Lord touches their hearts. For more information on Mother Angelica, visit Religious Catalog at EWTNRC.com. It's 12 till, and you are listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. So happy to have you along with us on this feast of the exaltation of the Holy Cross. Catherine Nolte is joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. She's author of a new children's novel called Back to the Bright Before. Catherine, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Hi. Thank you. You bet. So this is a a spiritual and fantastical novel, and I'm really glad to have it in my hands because my nine-year-old daughter had it and and just finished it, I think, yesterday or the day before. She loved it. Um, Can you give listeners an an overview of the story that you tell here? Sure. So it's the story of 11-year-old Perpetua and her little brother, Simon, and their family is going through a really hard time. Their father is a woodcarver, and he had an accident where he fell off a ladder, and he's injured his arm, and so he can no longer work. 
he needs to have a surgery to fix it, but the family can't afford the surgery. So the mother is working double shifts as a waitress, and this cloud of gloom has fallen over the family. Um, Everybody feels hopeless and like things will never get better, except for Perpetua. She thinks she can fix things and make things right, but she just doesn't know how. Until a neighbor happens to recite a poem for her about an ancient coin that's supposedly hidden at the abbey down the road. And when Perpetua hears this poem, a light bulb goes off over her head. She thinks, if I can find that coin, then daddy can get his surgery, mother won't have to work so much, and our family can go back to that bright before we had, before my dad fell off the ladder. And so she and her little brother, they pack their book bags, they borrow a neighbor's pony, and then they sneak off um, down to the abbey, the 200 acres that the nuns own, in search of this lost coin. Now, um, she is very familiar with this abbey, Perpetua, also known as Pet, in the book. Um, Can you talk about the relationship between Pet and Sister Melanie? Sure. So Sister Melanie is a novice at the Abbey, and um, she, she met Perpetua one day when she was working outside the Abbey planting some flowers, and Pet happened to walk by not knowing that, you know, she was speaking with a nun here. And they developed this friendship where Sister Melanie would teach her Latin phrases, and she's, she's kind of become this spiritual guide for Perpetua um, over the past year as they've gotten to know each other. And the, the nuns, um, they, they provide little treats to the children. They, they, um, they make candy for a living. And so they give the children candy. They've given the family, um, they have cattle, and they've given them, you know, meat. And they're just sort of this um, place of solace for Perpetua in this really hard time. Yeah, and while we're on relationships, can you talk about the relationship between Pet and her parents and also with her brother, Simon? Well, sure. So um, Perpetua's mother um, has basically lost hope. Um, yeah. Things have, are so bad that the, the father is injured and he's just totally withdrawn. And, the, and her father has lost hope, too, that, you know, they're in this bad situation. They don't know how to get out. But Perpetua, she just feels... She is the only one who has this hope still, and she, she feels partly responsible for what has happened to her father. It was an accident, but she did have something to do with it. And so she just she believes that things can get better. She feels this responsibility, and uh, along with her little brother, Simon, who no longer <laughs> speaks after her, the father fell off the ladder. He only says one word, cheese, and so Perpetua feels responsible for helping her brother also. Yeah, a little bit of comic relief with Simon, even though I know it was a, a serious ailment that he was dealing with. But it was funny to hear my daughter chuckle every time I knew every time she was hearing the word or hearing Simon say cheese in response right. <laughs> to any any question that was uh, that was asked of him. Now, what is the significance of this coin? So the coin is rumored to be the the coin that uh, Jesus himself, when the when the Pharisees asked him if they should pay their taxes, that he held in his hand. And so that so if they, if they know if they could find this coin, right, it would have this immense value. And so that is why everybody is looking for this coin. And they have been looking for it for decades, and nobody has found it. Supposedly, some monks 
are the ones who hid it um, at this property. And like I said, though, nobody has been able to find it. Yeah, and so they go off on on this uh, hunt for the lost coin. And, uh, of course, the adversary in this book uh, finds out about it and uh, goes along. Well, I shouldn't say goes along. Goes out in search of it himself. And, you know, I don't know if this was your goal, Catherine, but I was I was thinking about it after I finished the book. And, you know, this is a, a secular publisher, Random House, that that published this book. So presumably not just Catholic children will be reading this book. And so I love that there are things in here that seemed not so subtle to me or my daughter, but to the uncatechized, there are a lot of subtle references to the gospel and to the faith. Well, sure. And I think, honestly, that you can read the book on two levels. You're right. I mean, it's published by Random House, and so it is not, you know, a Catholic book, in quotes, but you're right. There's, there's a lot to it that um, if, you're, if you're looking for certain meanings, you can definitely find them. <laughs> right. Like uh, the three uh, people, mysterious people that they encounter on their, their journey to find this lost coin. Right, and you know, and that's I've had a lot of discussions about that. Who are those three beings? Are they, you know, are they um, are they magical or are they divinely inspired? And I think definitely coming at it from a Catholic perspective, um, you will see them as uh, divine helpers. <laughs> yes, yes, I would say their names are Gabby, A R, and Mike. So that's right. listeners, just think about that a little bit. Um, it took until Mike's uh, entrance into the story for me to catch on, uh, Catherine, I have to admit, and I was a little disappointed in myself that I didn't catch on earlier. <laughs> but just to close us out, Catherine, can you talk about why did you want to write a book for children at all? Well, you know, I had I had always wanted to be a writer, but and I went to um, college for writing, and I did the whole MFA in creative writing, and I'd always focused on fiction for adults. That's what I had learned to write. And I'd love to read aloud to my own four children, but I had never considered writing for children myself until we had this experience where um, my husband was out of town, and my, my children were playing in the backyard, and my youngest fell, and she needed stitches. So I loaded everybody up, and we headed to the emergency room, and we found out that the, the doctor who would do the stitches had just left, so we'd have to be called back in. So I knew we were going to be there for hours waiting. And I thought, how are we going to pass the time here? And there was this shelf of books, um, and I grabbed a book, and I said, well, we'll read a book. And it was um, The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane by Casey Camillo. I love that book oh, so yeah. much. I thought, I want to do this. I want to write for children, That's too. Awesome. The book is called Back to the Bright Before. I'm sorry we've run out of time, Catherine Nolte, but thank you so much for joining us this morning. You can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.